Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, Penn State football fans, to another off-season conversation about the team and uh, previewing 2023 in so many different ways. Uh, got a crack panel, as always, here on BWI Live. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. Sean Fitz and Nate Bauer here to discuss what's on your mind as well. We're going to be talking a lot about James Franklin today. He's been in the news, talking to some people, including Nate. So you're going to get a little bit of inside access into uh, what Nate and James talked about earlier this month. Also, James Franklin on uh, The Hard Count with J.D. Pacal, which is the On3 national show. We'll be discussing some of his quotes. We're bringing back between the lines because James Franklin has said something, so we have something to dissect. But the mailbag coming up at the end of the show, as always, really, that's the star of the show your questions, your thoughts at this time of the year. So drop them in the uh, show chat and like the video. Subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube because we're churning out content all off season. Uh, Nate, we're starting with you getting right into it. Um, you talked to James Franklin I did. a couple weeks ago, and yeah. he brought up something that I thought was very interesting. You talked about the final year of the college football playoff. Um, give Give me your impressions of that, and then I'm actually going to read one of the quotes that I want to specifically ask you about. So how did the conversation kind of get to this point? Yeah. So, so the, the interview started with a question about this being his 10th season at Penn state. Right. And so like, for whatever it's worth, there's a little bit of a, a milestone there um, in today's college football. And it's actually interesting. I, I went back and looked at who has more tenure at one institution than James Franklin and in power five conferences, it's only nine other guys, um, which to, to me is it, it speaks kind of volumes about what college football is today, but also uh, what his longevity has been at Penn State for this to be his 10th season. Uh, and so at that point, I, I kind of <laughs> I'm not going to say that this was a gotcha question, but he's so tough to crack when it comes to larger goals that yes. I thought a, a good way to, to frame it was, hey, is there any significance to reaching the college football playoff before the transition, before the expansion to 12 teams. And he said, yes. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's read the quote directly. I have it here on screen for those that are watching on uh, YouTube. And of course I'll read it for everyone on the podcast. Yeah, I think so. Because people look at different eras. You look at the BCS era and then you look at the current college football playoff model and it being four teams and how that is viewed. When you were part of that, mo were you part of that model or not during your time? Uh, so I think this is a super interesting question, not just about James Franklin, but generally about different. He brings up a good point about different eras of college football, BCS national titles. Penn State was a part of BCS national titles. Penn State has not been a part of the college football playoff era so far. Uh, Fitz, how do you square that in terms of program legacy and place in college football? 
also knowing this was like 10 years. Like this was not a huge section of the college football story. Well, everything is recency bias, right? Like we talk about what's going on recently. And, and you know, you could name some of those schools that were in the BCS and you're going to certainly forget some of the ones that were right in the mix there. And you could probably say the same about the playoff. I mean, Washington, Michigan State, uh, you know, schools that got in sort of on the fringes and got the brakes beat off of them for the most part. You kind of forget about those until somebody brings it up and references them. So I, I, I agree with him first, you know, as I as I make a point uh, completely contradictory to that. Um, I do agree that this is a chance to put yourself in that in that hierarchy. It's not so much the legacy as it is, you know, putting yourself and setting yourself up for the next step of college football. So I, I, I agree with him in that sense. Penn State, you know, has been a fringe team, you know, from a national perspective, has been a fringe team. And uh, they have the best opportunity they've had probably since 2017 uh, to to break through. And it's so I mean, you can't overstate how far, how hard it is to do with with Ohio State being what they've been for the past couple of decades and and Michigan of course coming out in the last couple of seasons so it's it's hard to break through but obviously that's that's the goal that's what you're shooting for and that's where the expectations are to be honest with you I mean Rose Bowl wins are fantastic New Year's six games fantastic but they're not the ultimate goal and that's not just for a fan base that's for that's internally as well so that's that's where I would go with it it's a chance to solidify yourself in that hierarchy of of those uh of those top echelon programs it's interesting because we looked at the BCS era and it was almost arbitrary. Like you could, you could kind of dismiss some of the BCS era because it was just two teams that were picked from a, a computer. This there's a committee, like it, it feels like there's more openness. Like that's how it first, it started. It was like, wow, here's this revolution. Initially, Nate, I see your face. We're coming to you. Yeah, about no. This. Oh, I'm gonna kill and we doubled the amount of teams that were involved, but it doesn't feel like we doubled the amount of teams that were involved. It feels like the same thing as BCS. It went from 1.5% representation in the postseason to 3% of college football is, is represented. In, right. It's just, it's, it's a joke, but in any case, no, it's, it's no matter how, somebody asked a question on the, on the message board, which I, I find to be fascinating. Uh, and I'm going to derail the conversation here. They said that James Franklin has this year, a, an opportunity to prove that he is an elite coach. Okay. Elite. And my question is, what does that mean? Who are the elite coaches in college football? What does that right. look like? What's the criteria for being an elite coach? Because when I, when I look at, win percentages, when I look at conference titles, when I look at the consistency of success, I would say that James Franklin and Penn State have been one of the more consistent programs in college football over the last nine years, right? Since mm -hmm. since he came into to, to Penn State. I mean, if you look since 2016, his win percentage in, in Power 5 conference is eighth, Right. Like, and the teams that are above Penn State are Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and Michigan. And Michigan is just by a hair. So, like, what do those teams above Penn State have in common? They've all been to the playoff. Right. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the last step. This is, this is the last foray uh, for Penn State under his leadership to, to, to reach that level. But I, I would argue pretty strongly that if we're arguing that you have to win a national championship to be elite, uh, right. The crew is, is basically two people right now. Right. right. Yeah. Because the other, the other active coaches that have one are Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M is a train wreck. 
Yeah, they're uh, not doing they're not doing particularly well. I don't know that you would be dying to put him in this conversation. It's got an elite paycheck that I think we would. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah. But the other the other two are Kirby Smart and 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 uh, Mac Brown, and and so yeah, uh, Kirby Smart. You could probably put him in that category, but it's just. I struggle, I struggle with conversations like this about defining elite, because if the only way that you can be elite is to be one of the three, right? Like if the club is limited to three people, then yeah. Okay. I'm, I buy it. He's not elite or, or yeah. Penn state is not elite, but otherwise, if you look at those standards of success or what the thresholds are, I, I find it very hard to argue that Penn state has not been consistently successful under his leadership. It, so all of that is true, and I think that a reasonable per- reasonable person would agree with all of that. But Fitz kind of sounds like James Franklin wants to be in that group of three. Like it's not um, uh, crazy to think that an ultra competitive guy, seeing and understanding his own success and the success of his program, being proud of that, still it's like you know what, I do want to be one of those three or four guys. Is that a fair way to kind of couch in context to kind of these? off-season talks we've had so far of course he does uh, 120 other head coaches want to be that too you know it's yeah. it's not uh it's not something that's just uh, exclusive to james franklin who has the resume of someone that's just outside of that realm um but you know that's that's kind of where we're at with this i i mean it's a uh, peak may conversation right here um but no he wants to be a part of that and he he should want to be a part of that he wants to be obviously the first african-american head coach to win a, a national championship there's a lot to be said for that and is it close? I mean, we, we talk about how much uh, how 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 much harder it is to break from. Um, you know, you can get into the top twenty five. That's great, but to get into that top ten, it starts to stretch out a little bit when you've got those elite programs in there, the Alabamas that have done it for so long, Clemson. I know they've been a little up and down, but they're they're up and down is still a ten win season. You know, that's kind of where where they've set the standard for their program. And Penn State, short of a couple of back to back clunkers, uh, the last uh, two seasons pr- prior to twenty twenty two, has has sort of been in that realm. So. Absolutely. He wants to be there. Everybody wants to be there. That's the goal. That's why, you know, we sort of make this season out to be a two game season where if you lose to Ohio State and Michigan, then your season, you know, kind of seems like a disappointment to a lot of people. So I I totally think that the expectations both externally and internally are, you know, are are what they are. And they and that's more college football. I mean, we're 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 past talking about James Franklin right now. We're talking about. Um, every other coach that just, you know, has been on the doorstep but hasn't quite been there. Maybe they've even been to the playoff. You know, that's kind of where where we're looking. There's some really, really good coaches out there. James, of course, uh, in that mix deserves to be in that mix, and and kind of that's where that's where we leave it, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair way to to kind of summarize the conversation. It's just it's interesting because we spend a lot of time qualifying the conversation and to hear James Franklin say he agrees with fans like no I want to be there I want Penn State to be there and and not really kind of put things in perspective but also just kind of state the fact of yeah I I we the program want to be in that place and it's been we talk a lot about the 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 kind of context and and saying yes the two losses isn't the worst thing in the world coming up just short in such a small percentage of three percent like that is um, that is valid to talk about, but then on the other side, like the the thirst for winning is not a is not is also reflected uh, not just in the fans but in, in the coaching staff and and their view of everything. Tom, 
um, brings up a very good point. This is the conversation that the college football playoff has created. Playoffs are bust in the national landscape, and I think that that is a, a, um, a fair way to put a button on that. Now, and, and that's and that's not for every school, but Penn State's in that group of schools where that is the the right. goal slash expectation there. So, Nate, uh, shifting our focus quickly. Sorry about yeah. that, Fitz. I didn't mean to cut you off. Shif- shifting our focus quickly, we got basketball as well. A little bit of information you've got. Uh, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, great place to go and get all of Nate's insider information. $29.99 for six months of access. There's going to be a whole bunch of insider talk. We're going to be talking around a lot of stuff here for the next couple of minutes. So if you want to get everything, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. But Nate, what do you got for us in terms of basketball information? Yeah, just real quick, DeMarco Dunn, North Carolina kid who uh, is in the transfer portal. He spent the last two seasons at um, North Carolina, visited Penn State over the weekend. He was here on Sunday and Monday. Uh, and, you know, surprise, surprise, Fitz, how do all, how do all visits go? They're oh, all they're great. good. Oh, they're, they're, no, great. they're great. They're not good. Yeah. They're great. They're great. So, uh, no, Dunn, Dunn, I think, had a pretty good visit. Um you know, I'm not really sure on a timeline there, whether or not, you know, what, what the expectations can be in terms of making a decision, but it's interesting. Penn state has 12 scholarships filled now, and there's this 13th that's out there, right? Well, what's the, what's the, um, you know, the, the backside of, of that is okay. Now it, as the last person, who is coming into a class potentially, whoever it is, whether it's done or not, you, you have to be willing to compete, right? Like there's all of these spots, all of these other guys who have committed to the program before you, those other 12 have expectations of what their roles are going to be. And we're sold on those roles. And so you're being sold the same thing, but there's, there's going to be, there's going to be some roadblocks in between you and the playing time that you want. And so, yeah, I think that, that, uh, you know, Dunn has some decisions to make, but that's regardless of who it is, the Penn state, uh, is able to attract, to fill that last scholarship. Those are some of the hurdles that the Penn state's going to have to to face there in the transfer portal. Be fascinating to see how that last spot fills out. So follow Nate on Twitter, uh, follow Nate on Facebook, Instagram, BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, MySpace, all those places to get information. <laughs> I woke everybody up talking about MySpace. Fitz, uh, coming to you quickly here uh, for we're in the final day of May, which felt like the longest month of the year. And June starts official visit season. So this Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a big weekend for Penn State football. We are going to do a show on Friday, special Friday show, previewing everything. But uh, as an early preview, what sort of information do you want to share with everyone here on the show about what we've learned about the first official visit or about official visit season starting that you think fans should know? Yeah, big weekend uh, to start things out. Of course, they've got their camp on Sunday, too, for the first time. So that'll be uh, something we track on Blue White Illustrated. I'm actually out, uh, out this weekend, so uh, Ryan will be on top of it. He's doing a great job tracking these things. Some big guys coming in for the first weekend. Usually the first weekend is sort of a test run. Uh, last year, it was just Jason Moore from DeMatha that came in. Um, so get uh, get your people where they're supposed to be, sort of a, a kind of a dry run. But I think they had uh, more opportunities um, to do that last year. The ninth is shaping up to be a big weekend uh, with commitments and with some big time targets. But looking at the visitor list for this weekend is really good, really good. Um, and it got better. We confirmed yesterday uh, afternoon that Liam Andrews, the two way standout, who I think is possibly Penn State's top overall target uh, from a 
position flexibility standpoint, from a talent standpoint, the kid's really good. Um, he's going to be in town this weekend, and that's a big one. He was in town for the blue-white game, came to the Michigan State game at the end of the year. It was a really interesting recruitment because it seemed like back in January or so, Penn State was fading in this one, and then it seems like he went out, checked out some other schools, and Penn State kind of came back into the mix. Wants to play on the defensive line, which is an important part here uh, because he is the nation's top interior offensive lineman per the on three industry rankings. Really, really good on offense, uh, really good on defense. I think he's one of the few guys that you can look at and say, this guy could be a division one defensive tackle, um, you know, or, or a power five, like a high level defensive tackle. Um, still like his upside on offense, not going to lie. You know, I take the value in, in offensive tackles and they, in Penn State likes him as an offensive tackle, even though he's rated as an interior offensive lineman. Uh, just in short, kid's really good. Get, get him on campus, uh, see what you can do. I don't expect him to make a decision this week, and I think he'll take a couple more uh, visits. I know Florida heavily in the mix. Wisconsin was the first school to talk to him about playing defense, and that's something that's stuck in his mind. Um, so a couple of schools that are out there that are uh, looking uh, appealing for for Liam Andrews. But Penn State, this is a great opportunity to uh, to blow him away right off the bat. That'll be a fascinating one to watch. And, yeah, uh, if you haven't yet, uh, checked out the for a couple things you need to check out here based on this conversation. First off, Liam Andrews highlight tape. I apologize. I didn't have it here on hand. Uh, I was told by the software that I had way too much stuff in the software and I couldn't add any more highlight videos. But secondly, uh, check out the Friday show. If you are just a guy shows up here for the, the Penn State football talk, recruiting is fascinating. It is. I've I've learned so much from Fitz and from Ryan over the last year or so, two years working with Ryan about recruiting and the depth that all this goes. And this is where it all starts, right? The talent acquisition. So I encourage you to check out our recruiting show and, of course, check out BlueWhiteIllustrated.com for more information on official visit season. Uh, quickly here, we'll get to today's show sponsor. That is Rogue Shop. RogueShop.com is the official sponsor of the BWI live show, and they had uh, a great sale this weekend. If you did not check it out, if you're not a member of BlueWhiteIllustrated.com, so you didn't see the special post, they had 30% off uh, at the store. But today, as always, you can always get still get a good deal. 10% off using the promo code BWI for RogueShop.com. Uh, if you don't know what Rogue Shop is, it is a small... Uh, batch sustainable plant medicine farm. Uh, they're craft cannabis farmers in Wisconsin who have partnered with us to, to help you live a better life. I've told you about some of the stuff I've used before. Um, I'm actually getting some new stuff because of the sale. So we're going to be trying out the CBD oils for inflammation. We talked to you about that on the show quite a bit here. And then uh, the gummies to help with the sleep, pain management, all those things. So if any of those things interest you or there's something that you've been dealing with, you want to fight some chronic illnesses in your life with something other than just traditional medicine, you want to supplement it with some holistic stuff, um, rogueshop.com, they're here to help you out. And they have free consultations on the website. You can sit down and talk with them. They know what they're doing. They know the dosages uh, and they can help you. Uh, dial that in so that you're getting what you want. You can go about your day and not be a zombie because of <laughs> what you're taking. So check out bluewhiteillustrated.com on the Lions Den message forum if you want to talk to Richard, Mr. Rogue, or uh, just go right to their shop, rogueshop.com, 10% off. Let them know you came from Blue White Illustrated and the BWI live show. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so the next thing we're going to get to here on the BWI live show is uh, James Franklin spoke with the media, but it wasn't us. It was the national show for On3. So we're going to talk about, you know, what he had to say. We're going to read between the lines. Uh, they have both gotten reps with runs. So... Is James Franklin turning over a new leaf? Is he really, like, before, really insulated in the one game at a time thing? And yet, talk to Nate about some bigger picture stuff. We just discussed that. Here he is on uh, the hard count with J.D. Piquel talking about the schedule. Right into it. Looking ahead, Ohio State and Michigan. Are they doing that? And here is his answer. Oh. West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia uh, <laughs> is, is who we open with. But but I'll be honest, I won't give you total coach speak here. Um, you know, we are getting ready for West Virginia, and we have done our first four opponents. That's We literally just finished those breakdowns. But then we will get a head start on, on Michigan, and we will get a head start on Ohio State. Obviously, we understand the importance of those two games, specifically on our side of the conference. I think, you know, we're anywhere in most publications, five or six in the country preseason. The the challenges is Michigan and Ohio State, I think, are two and three or two and four. So, Ten years into his time at Penn State, Nate, you talked about um, the timeline. Is this kind of a growth area for James Franklin in terms of not being so hyper-focused on one game at a time and allowing for not that every game means something more or less, but understanding the importance of certain games and, and giving them their due, uh, even now in the offseason. Uh, or is... is it the same? Is it the same no, as think, always? Look, I, I mean, I still, I still think he's hyper-focused on one game at a time. I think that he believes strongly in the notion that the process and paying attention to the process yields results. Like the results will come by being that, by, by having your attention focused on only that. Because I, th I do think that there have been times where he has been burnt or Penn State has been burnt or whatever. He sees examples of other programs and his own that have looked past opponents and then paid for it. Right. Uh, you name it. I, I don't want to say <laughs> that Illinois in 2021 was that, but I, I just, I think that there are examples of that all over the place where one game that you look past can, can spiral out of control. However, a couple of, couple of Michigan state games might come to mind in absolutely. 2017 sometime in that era, time, in that era. No doubt about it. 2018. It was, I mean, it was the same, it was the same story. So, uh, we like to frame these things as though there's a right answer to this. 
as, as though there's a, you know what, that, like, this is the path. This is, this is how you have to do things. And I think it's more art than science. And mm-hmm. the art that he's chosen is, is this, is this one game at a time thing. However, it, it doesn't change the fact that they, they he's always known he's always viewed Michigan and Ohio State as being important game. like why why do they have an army of analysts at Penn State now it's it's to do this it's it's to to look ahead at these things to do every possible scout I mean the 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 very concept of college football coaching is about wasting time staring at film <laughs> and, and trying to figure out every possible thing, every encyclopedia of, of information that you can possibly glean of your opponent and then taking advantage of it. So I, I, I don't I don't think that it's completely honest in the first place of, of just saying West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia. Right. Like th- that has never been the case of complete honesty that that is exactly what they're focused on, but they try as hard as they can. He's trying as hard as he can to present that example and that, uh, that leadership so that everybody else can fall in line and they can not worry about those other things before they need to. So a little bit of a a dirty secret here is I'm going to ask Fitz a question and it's, it's tailored around the idea of narratives that I don't necessarily believe in, but people do. And uh, there are things in the Penn State ecosphere that our Penn State is not prepared for these games the way that they should be um, in terms of maybe coming off a bye week going into a game or, you know, just not uh, being up for those games or not being able to close out. Whatever, whatever it is, it's always not good enough for primetime against Ohio State and Michigan and that it's somehow the need to fix that and, and fix the focus on that. So. I guess my question here is, is there a softening of that stance and allowing for, you know, Nate, what you just said of being a little more honest about looking at the big picture and not being, because I remember at times there would be, James Franklin would say nothing about anything else but the opponent in front of them, and that would be all offseason just talking about West Virginia. So Fitz, is there is there a little bit of a growth curve or an acknowledgement of that um, at this point in James Franklin and the way he deals with the media? I, I, I'm glad you added that last part in the way that he deals with the media, because the way that he's done it internally isn't all that different than, than what he's talking about right now. He's just talking about it. It's, it's, it's the messaging has always been part uh, motivation for his guys and performance art in terms of like staying with the, uh, the system that works and that has worked for a long time. Um, it's like, basically if you're teaching, you know, you know, you've got a test coming up eventually, but you've got to get those lesson plans out. You've got to get everything, uh, in order for your guys, not necessarily because you don't know the, the eventual focus is on that test. Um, but you got to get those guys to fight the little battles along the way. And I think that that's what the, the one and oh mantra does. And it keeps guys, you know, keeps guys fresh. And it also gives them an out to talk to us every week about, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to answer your question. Number one, cause I, I really don't want to um, talk about Ohio state here in, in September. Um, but also like, this is, this is the mantra. This is what we go back on. I mean, it's clockwork, man. Like once you mm-hmm. get into the program, everybody is talking about the only, the only thing that everybody's talking about is the next game. And everybody knows that Michigan and Ohio state are up on that pedestal. Like the, it's not a secret, but this is how you control the messaging. This is how you control that narrative. So I don't think that that this is all that different than what they've done in the past. In fact, I know it's it's not all that different than what they've done in the past. Um, you know, prepare for basically pre bye week and then 
figure out Michigan and Ohio State. Nate made a great point that I was hoping to, to save for me, but there's so many analysts right now, and that's what they do. Yeah. Like coaches are out on the road. The assistants, the on-field assistants are out on the road. And before, like you had guys to work on film and guys to cut up film and things like that, but not at this level, not at this experience. And there's some, obviously some, uh, there's been pro coaches in there. There's been, um, you know, obviously Ola Adams joined the staff uh, this spring. So they, they've got a bunch of guys that have that experience with, with game planning, with prepping at lower levels and at higher levels. And that's, what's going to help you is the flexibility that you get from those guys that have been through it all at different, at certain different levels. So I, I don't think that it's, changing the um the methods that they're going to do but being a little bit more open with it is not going to hurt him at this point in time i think that there has been a little bit of a shift in terms of lots of lots of coaches are, are being i think a little more honest about some of the important games on the schedule and it's interesting just kind of see that that a little bit more honesty in terms of the messaging uh steven drops this into the chat he says good to see everyone back from the holiday glad to have you back as well steven thank you for the donation to the channel uh, Nate, were you going to say something or are you just breathing? Yeah, no, I was just going to say that <laughs> I, I, was, I was just going to say that there is an implicit acknowledgement of the importance of Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule every single year by the frequency with which James Franklin talks about how strong the east side of the conference is. Right. Like, he, I mean, he's 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 saying it without saying it. By, he's like, not talking hey, about Indiana, Michigan, and Rutgers, is, or excuse me, Maryland and Rutgers. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> believe it or not, believe it or not, I, I, I just I, it, what's curious to me is there's this perception that Penn State can never get through Ohio State and Michigan, and the reality is they've split with those two teams multiple times over the last eight years, right? Like in, even in 2020, which was a terrible year for Penn State, they split those two games. 2016, they split those two games. Uh, 2017, they split those two games, 2019, they split those two games. So yes, our, our recency bias says, okay, 21 and, and 22, they lost both of those games. You know, this is, this is like this eternal hump to get over, but I, I just don't think that the narrative has been as consistent with that as it has been with, like you said, about coming off of a buy that that's, that's legit. Yeah. <laughs> they, they've, they've had a problem with that. Uh, they have had a problem legit coming off of the first loss of the season they have turned one loss into two multiple times or if not one into two one and then they win one and then they lose the next one they, they've lost two out of three games multiple times over his span so i i just it it's a curious conversation to me because i i don't think uh that it's so cut and dry that penn state or or james franklin have just been like absolutely waxed by those two teams in the conference throughout his tenure. That's, that's not and, really and the they've case. Been prepared, they've been prepared for Ohio state, like yeah. totally basically totally. better than anyone in the big 10 sans Michigan, the last couple of seasons, they've been prepared for Ohio state. They've just been beaten. And as Steven mentioned in the, in the, in the uh, chat here, depth has just taken over late in those games. And I think that that's yeah. depth and talent is, is something that, you know, you can't, that's going to go into your great game plan in terms of like trying to keep the ball away from them but it's going to catch up to you eventually. So I think that that's where it's at. And, uh, you know, it, it, we talk about like somebody's going to bring up Michigan and say last year against Michigan, they were, you know, out coached or whatever. And, you know, they were doing okay considering how poorly they were playing in the first half and, and, and they were still hanging around and had the lead in the second half. And then uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to tailspin here. 
James says stuff like we need to get bigger in the defense yeah. uh, defense on the defensive line when they're just out schemed, out gapped, and out executed. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, some of that's preparation. A lot of it's you know reaction and, and and execution by by players and things like that. So that's kind of um, where I would go with that. You know, I think Michigan has prepared incredibly well for Penn State because as we talk about during the season, that's a game plan that, you know, Penn State's Penn State's team is built to try to run with Ohio State. Michigan has kind of flipped it on its head and said, we're going to do what we do, run the football, do the do the things that, you know, Harbaugh has done his entire career, done it extremely well. And yeah. Penn State just doesn't happen to match up with that. And I don't think that that's a an, uh, preparation uh, like a, a knock on preparation. I think it's a, it's a knock on a different kind of spin on that depth. Um, yeah. Whereas Michigan took over last year in the second half as well. It's it. And the, I think the narrative of that comes from if there's one place Penn state gets blown out, it's at Michigan. So you're on the road and those games are, you know, really important. If <laughs> you know, you, you have, that that really important game on the road where you want to look good. It's usually a primetime game, and then it's the one time the team does not perform well, uh, whether it's injury or whether it's uh, whatever it is. They just seem to have something that when they go to Ann Arbor, it doesn't go well. Another thing, because we're gonna, I'm gonna eliminate the question uh, during the live uh, during the mailbag about Michigan because we're talking about it here. One thing that I I think that we I didn't really um, take into account last year was. The schedule before Penn State. Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, Maryland, Iowa, Indiana. One game they had trouble with, really, and that was Iowa. They ran a lot of really simple base plays. They didn't have to get out of their base offense to beat any of those teams. Then they changed and did against Penn State. So Penn State was prepared for what was on film. They were very prepared for what was on film. Michigan did something different. So that is something that I think is a is a really... Um, I didn't take that into account personally, and I think the more I've looked at it, the more I've thought about it, that is something that they, you know, certain teams do save stuff uh, for certain games. I will say this too, in the, in the chat here, Rob makes a point about not turning uh, the seasons into two game seasons. And if if Nate or you or I said that, like we would be lit on fire um, because that, <laughs> that the standard has turned into, you know, beating at least one of those teams. And that's perhaps a bit unfair. And I think, I happen to agree with Rob, like you're going to make a 12 game playoff every year with 10 wins. Um, but like setting the expectation there is, is a, um, uh, it's a license to just be torched. And, uh, so I see where Rob's coming from in the chat here, but, uh, it's a little bit different out there, uh, out there in them streets, <laughs> but, but that's yeah, for sure. That's, that's the point though, of, of what James said, right? Like that's why it's significant for him to have said what he said right. is it's not about the 12 game playoff it's about the four game playoff and being able to get it done in the last opportunity that you have before you get there and so that's that's what's so interesting to me going into this season is there there is absolutely uh an implied obviously you want to win every game that you play but to get to the playoff penn state has to split those two games and then not lose any of the others that yep. that's it like yep. that's that's the blueprint. That's that's the path of getting there. And speaking of the last opportunity you have to get there, I don't think we talked about this since, but uh, the last opportunity for this season is at Ford Field. You don't have to go to East yeah. Lansing this year. That is totally. Um, that's nice. I mean, it's a nice little consolation for moving that game to Black Friday. Yeah, and in a dome, so there's not going to be any weird weather. It's going to be in a dome. And Penn State is a team. What that are we going to write about? Points. Like, if we can't talk, if we can't write about weather in, in November, what are we going to do? 
Uh, and a night game in November. Oh, no. the good Can news you believe is, it? That, that's your guys' problem. I just have to write about what happens on the field. That uh, It'll be easier. They'll have, uh, they'll have really good all-22 footage when it's not in the snow. Uh, when we, if we can get our hands on that. I love finding that information out. But speaking of getting into the college football playoff, playoff run, one player above all else is standing out in terms of how that's going to happen. Drew Aller. So J.D. asked James Franklin about Drew Aller and the anticipation for him this season. Well, I think a couple things. I think, number one, we got a chance to be better on the O-line. We got a chance to be better at running back. We got a chance to be better at tight end. Um, we we have a question mark at wide receiver. I saw some things this spring to get excited about, but not ready to stamp them yet. Uh, and I say all that because your point is a good one. You know, we had a veteran quarterback that seemed like he played here forever, is now with the Green Bay Packers and Sean Clifford. Uh, and we got a we got a competition for the quarterback spot, and Drew Alar is uh, I actually think it's Aller, um, but Drew Drew is a young man that there's a lot of excitement about. You know, coming out of high school, he was the number one uh, quarterback recruit in the country. Was our backup quarterback last year, and unusually, uh, he was able to play in almost every single game. So so that was that was a real positive that we were able to get him a ton of reps and experience last year. So. That's a big interesting. I love it when we talk about something on the show and then unrelated James Franklin or one of the coaches will talk about it somewhere else. Talking about Drew Aller fits. He talked about every other position on offense except about Drew, meaning like this team is good and they are going to help the young quarterback in terms of how he plays next year. So as much as it's about Drew, it's about supporting Drew, not about him taking the reins and being the guy. Right. And it's about protecting Drew. It's about running the ball behind Drew. And it's about putting him in the best spot to sort of open up your receivers on the outside for Drew. So, I I mean, I, there's no way to talk around that. I think, uh, you know, this the schedule itself, you know, there's there's some tricky games in that first month. Uh, we talk mm-hmm. Illinois. You talk Iowa, of course, uh, at home. But Illinois on the road is is certainly an issue that's going to, you know, that's, that's going to be a tough test for him. West Virginia, I mean, you get an opportunity to start against a marquee opponent that not necessarily is a good team. So I think that yeah. that's helpful, but gives you a chance to get, get your feet wet. Four games in September is um, that, you know, that's kind of the standard to, to get your starter up and running. Um, but yeah, I think if you're the, the problem, the, the problem that I struggle with here is like Drew could put up really good numbers against West Virginia right off the bat. And I'm yeah. not sure that it would be indicative of him picking apart West Virginia or, you know, being an all-star quarterback right off the bat. Because he's got a lot of stuff that's, you know, he's, he's going to have to have some adversity thrown his way in terms of different looks that he's going to deal with, different coverages and things like that. And West Virginia knows that they're getting a first-time quarterback. So that's going to be an interesting uh, test for him, even though Penn State's got the the, the Jimmys and the Joes that, that, that are superior there. So yeah. I think that if you're coming out expecting him just to throw it around, maybe he does it against West Virginia, maybe he does it against Delaware, whatever. Um, but there's going to have to be a growth process um, for him to hit those hit those high notes against those teams that he needs to. And, and again, I'm going to include Illinois on the road here because it's just, uh, you know, it's a weird place to play. Um, you know, sometimes the atmosphere is great. Sometimes it's it's not so much, but it's early in the season. Hopes are higher with Bielema, of course. Um, so that's going to be certainly a test. Um, but yeah, I, I think what James is saying is everybody knows he's got the talent. Everybody knows he can throw it around and be crazy, but that that's 
part of the equation. You know, what made Sean Clifford great was not his talent and his ability to throw the ball. It was everything else. And you're going to have to figure out everything else. And is that harder to do than figuring out um, if you can throw the ball around the yard? I mean, that's the, that, that's the big question that remains for, uh, for Drew Aller. And I appreciate James uh, correcting his pronunciation there as well. I need to get that in. It's huge relief, huge relief, because we have this, con- we have this conversation and people are like, well, 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 Franklin says Alar, and I'm like, yeah, but he also called him denied Dennis Daniels the other day. Like, he's not the fountain of where you should be. Media uh, guide needs a pronunciation guide for everyone, and then a pronunciation guide for James because they're yeah. sometimes just completely different. And I don't blame like he's got a lot of ki- kids to remember. I don't blame him for that, but it's just the the position he he's in. Uh, I wrote a, a lot this week over BlueWhiteIllustrated.com about the receiver position and how I think that's going to affect Drew Aller. So, Nate, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to sit this one out. If you want to check out what I think, go check out the website. Uh, how do you see kind of this this conversation around Drew uh, and it leading into what you have you've talked about is one of the more important seasons under James Franklin for the legacy talk? I think it's I, I, I don't know. I, I'm conflicted because I think that uh, the things that burned Sean Clifford early in his career are like you can be a very good quarterback and make three mistakes during a game that turn into interceptions and you lose the like we have no concept of his proclivity or not for turnovers like we just we we don't have any idea of of how he uh is able to uh, and we don't know how Penn State and Mike Yersich are going to protect him from that or not right like yep. how how expansive i i just I, I think that we're flying blind in a lot of ways uh in Thank terms you. of in, in terms of how he can how he can perform under those circumstances so i i'm i'm super interested i mean look for as much uh pat fitzgerald slander as i love to disperse they have to go to northwestern too in yeah. in those first those, right before that buy so I, I just think that there's there are traps everywhere. There are traps everywhere. And if you can get through, like, is is Northwestern going to have a great season this year? I would expect probably not. Uh, but are there teams out there, situations out there early in the season that can make things tricky for Penn State? Absolutely. If Drew, if the receivers... If Nick Singleton, Catron Allen, the tight ends, like if the offensive line, if all of those elements and crucially the thing that we're not going to talk about, if the defense can be really, really strong and Mm -hmm. provide a cushion that allows for them to make mistakes and get away with them, if special teams isn't a train wreck, right? Like if, if, if all of those other elements are up to snuff in the first six weeks of the season, I think it provides an opportunity to get better, right? To, to grow, to, to, to find yourself in some positions where you, you can make some mistakes, you can get away with them and you can still win games uh, at, at which point you turn the corner into that back half of the season. I mean, the fact that they don't get Ohio state or Michigan until uh, after the first, what is it? October 21st and November 11th, I think are the dates like that's, I think that's a good runway for him to be able to, to get through some of those games. We're going to have we're going to continue this conversation because there's some great questions, but we're going to get to this part of the conversation in the BWI mailbag.
We're going to start with this question. We've gotten this question a couple of times in a couple of different ways, but I think this is a, actually to compare the two. Uh, BWV5014 at the on, uh, on3 Blue White Illustrated message board says, how would you compare this team to 2016? What are the similarities and key differences that you see? Um, Fitz, do, do you, we've talked about the first month of the season being prepared, how it kind of was off to a rough start, but then ended magically for Penn State. Um, not necessarily in that, but like, where do you see the strengths of this team as compared to 2016 and vice versa? Uh, they got star power at running back. That's a good one to start with. I think that you can go with that and, and sort of, um, you know, in the college game, it's, it's all about scoring points. All right. So, um, I, I would start there and say the big play capability in the run game is, is huge. Like, especially breaking in a new quarterback as they did in 2016, give that give them a little bit more time to breathe and the fact that you have singleton uh, a more experienced offensive line i think is huge um mm -hmm. you know katron allen is also awesome like don't get me wrong here but nick singleton is the big play guy and can be can be an eraser we talk about erasers on the defensive side of the ball so often um you know those guys that come along and and just sort of uh, break the curve um and i think nick singleton can be one of those guys so I'll go with that with the, with the 2016 team. That sort of jumps out to me. I'm sorry. Uh, we just confirmed another official visit, so I haven't really been paying attention the last couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, so um, oh check out the site. Check out the site for for more on that. Ryan's uh, working on that one right now. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that that's where I would go. Is the fact that Penn State has the ability to take the ball and and that's what it's, it was missing a couple of years ago. Take the ball from anywhere on the field and score a touchdown with the run game. Um, you don't necessarily need. Um, to throw the ball down the field as much. You don't necessarily, 2016 team obviously had a lot of success with that, um, but you don't necessarily need that. And I think that that's a great thing to look at and have the ability to uh, sort of just erase second and eight, erase second yeah. and 11, something like that and go and go with that. Nate, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, the 2016 defense was not as good as this defense by a wide margin. And mm -hmm. so that's like, to me, that's a, a pretty significant disparity. And then the, the, the question is 2016 had some studs at, at receiver. Keandre has to be that like, that's, yep. that is a huge part of this is he has the opportunity to be that eraser as a receiver. Uh, and, and right. Because when, when we think back on that season on 2016, so much of Penn state's production, it's scoring production was predicated on home runs. I mean, that's yep. Trace yep. McSorley, his his old thing with the you know, uh, you know that was all <laughs> that was all about hitting home runs. And so, yeah, Penn State can do that with Nick Singleton. Absolutely, Katron Allen gives you the consistency in 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 the backfield. I think that Theo Johnson has an opportunity to hit home runs as a tight end. I mean, that's a that's a guy who can give you 30, 35 yard receptions. Yep consistently he can he can do that for you but can keandre lambert smith uh you know can some of those can trey wallace like uh evans like can those guys create an opportunity for 60 70 80 yard touchdowns i, I don't know but i mean certainly keandre has a little bit of a history of, of being able to do that he did it in the rose bowl he did it against michigan state he did it earlier yep. in the season last season uh, it's about being able to to do that consistently, and once you do, if you do, that that just gives you such a a, a threat at all times that scares defensive coordinators, and you can take advantage of that. So the thing that I find interesting is that the more I think about it, I think this is closer to the 2019 team 
than it is 2016 because the offensive line is better. The offensive line was pretty good in 2019. That team was led by a strong running game, and uh, they didn't have a lead receiver that was like, a workhorse like Chris Godwin. They had guys that were, you know, Jahan Dotson his first year, KJ Hamler was the team's leading receiver from the slot. And to me, like this is kind of what I wrote about earlier this week is where are your threats coming from? How do you balance the field? That team in 2019 arrived early. You know, that was a team that everyone said 2020, if that was a normal year and blah, yeah. blah, blah, that was going to be their year. But Jerry yep. Brown, explosive running back, Noah Kane, uh, brought you the balance and the power. I think you can have a similar comparison, maybe even not maybe probably better than that when with the guys you have on this roster. Um, but the the protection that right tackle position, I'm still got my eye on it. But overall, this offensive line is clearly a better uh, version of what they had in either 2016 or 19, at least on paper. Uh, Fitz, do you have a follow up there? No, it's just funny to think about 2016 and we go through the roster and, and that there's there's an argument to be made that that team had no business being as good as it was. Like yeah. there was there's something to be said for belief. There's something to be said for uh, the way that Joe Moorhead was able to just turn things on its head so quickly. And obviously they had that first month of the season was not not memorable by any stretch, but they turned it around and you know sort of found what they were best at and and sunk into that. Like the 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 talent one to eighty five on this roster is is I think better. But you you know you're missing some spots at receiver. You mentioned Godwin, obviously was was awesome. Jacek, yeah, was fantastic. So those certain spots where you have these top level guys, Penn State not necessarily has them on the 2023 roster. But from top to bottom, there's there's more talent, there's more depth. Um, so it's kind of kind of a flip flop there in terms of what uh, what what we do when we compare these teams side by side. Yeah, and and, and having um, having enough threats i think is is kind of a thing that they do have pretty close to enough threats at all positions in in order to create those explosive plays and keep the defense off balance one last thing i'll i'll, I'll point out is that that was joe moorhead's first season as the offensive coordinator this is mike yurcich's second season so on on the plus side they're going to be more comfortable in the offense i'm sorry this is third season uh on and but then you know Teams know Penn State's offense now. They have a good idea of what it is and what it isn't. I think there was a little bit of Joe Moorhead and that offense really um, exploded on the scene because teams weren't necessarily ready for all of the things that they were able to do offensively. It's, it's like when you put a backup quarterback in the game and he looks yeah. fantastic. You're just not prepared for him. And then the next game he comes back and Mike White fi throws five interceptions, for instance. So <laughs> I think that, that's, that there is something to be said for catching someone off guard. And that's what... That's what's that's why it's fun when you see these coordinators come up from a lower level and just, you know, you, some of these bigger programs are so not stuck in their ways, but they they use these methods, these tried and true methods that work. And sometimes you get caught off guard. So that's that would be a fun little wrinkle. But as you mentioned, third third year for your such. So we're going to see what what he's got in the tank. And will this offense look the same as it did last year from a structural standpoint with a different style quarterback? Well, we're we're going to find out. It's going to be super fun. I just like I, I'm going to enjoy the summer, but I can't wait to see all of them get the answers to all these questions. David says any update on the amount of Durrell are throwing with wide receivers. They've been able to get done this summer. Is it going to be good enough is what he knows, what he wants to ask, because David Greeter is our resident super fan who is always positive, saying Penn State is going to win the national championship in 2023. <laughs> this is a huge uh, chunk of that. Either of you have any uh, insights or tidbits you want to add to this question? Because right now, I mean, to me, this is something that, you know, it's a little bit of in the shadows sort of 
under the radar work that we've highlighted, but it's not like we get to go out and watch practice of these things. So any other nuggets or tidbits you want to add to uh, what's been going on with, with the receivers and quarterbacks? Not particularly. Nate, I see you didn't jump at this one. Um, no, not yeah. not really much. We saw Drew out there at the Elite 11 last weekend, but uh, didn't get a chance to to pick his brain. And, and these things are informal workouts, so they're not dealing with coaches, not dealing with, with guys from the program. So that's kind of where we go to uh, get some of our information. So there's not as much floating out there. But I mean, just from from knowing what I know about the past practices, yes, they're they're out there throwing it around. So hopefully that uh, hopefully it is good enough uh, in all caps. There, David, uh, we'll see we'll see <laughs> if they can get on the same page and and get up to speed very quickly. I bet I I don't have any information to add to that. It, yeah, I it just it all it always seems like everybody wants the the Rocky Four training montage. Like <laughs> send these guys yeah. to Siberia. They they eat breakfast. They inject steroids and then they go out and throw the ball for whoa. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, whoa. No, but, <laughs> no, that's it's Rocky. It's Rocky. We all love Rocky, yes. right? Absolutely. So, anyway, but no, it's like, yeah, they're throwing it. They're they're gonna be fine. Yeah. Uh next question here. This is this is I think secretly, a little bit of speaking of under under the radar, one of my favorite questions. Poncho five seventy asked, which one's gonna be the bigger test at this point? Iowa at home or Illinois on the road? We've talked about this uh, a little bit back and forth, but in terms of actually like which game do you think is a more concerning, a more interesting matchup? Um, uh, Fitz, you were leaning pretty hard on that Illinois away game. Is that where you would go? Yeah, that's where I would go just because it's a, it's a new uh, atmosphere for him to step into. And, you know, he's played on the road. It came in, did, did admirably against Purdue last year, but that's a veteran coach who has um, controlled the game like in his own way. And that's, that's going to be tough uh, to go to Illinois and win that game. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say this. I think it's, I think the Illinois game uh, will be a tougher, uh, a tougher draw and a tougher scenario. Not that necessarily uh, Illinois is better than Iowa, because um, I'm not really sure what we're going to get with Iowa with the the retooled offense uh, or the, at least the players that have come in and and uh, sort of taken over. But uh, I I would I would lean. You know, if there's a tiebreaker to be made on the road, is the tiebreaker. You know, the whiteout is going to give you an extra couple of points or something like that. So that's that's the way that I would go. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good point there. I'll finish up, Nate. Uh, jump in here. Do you have a thought between home game? It's the whiteout game against Iowa and then road against Illinois. Yeah, I would I would just say that uh, I, I don't uh, I don't know what the right word is. I don't like I, I don't know. T- teams that can't score points or aren't designed to score points, I think, are going to struggle uh, against Penn State. I just need to see Penn State score points first before I Right. Like that. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing is uh, I think that this is a Penn state team. That's going to score points. I think they're going to put up 35 plus a game. Uh, Can Illinois at Illinois. Like I don't really, I, when I look at those two games, I think the Penn state should win both by a couple of touchdowns in May Yeah, is, but, but uh, you you gotta, you gotta actually put that out there. You have to, you have to put them up. You gotta put up, those 40 points against West Virginia and Delaware, and then you can see where things go. But if this is a Penn state team that, that can't find that balance, if teams don't have to respect the passing game and can focus all of their energies on stopping the run and bottling up Singleton and Catron Allen, then maybe that changes the dynamic a little bit, but uh, yeah, no, I think, I think both of those games are, are certainly clearly winnable. If Penn state can score points, this, you, 
you brought up exactly what I was going to talk about. So this is an on three article from earlier this month, ranking the top five defensive lines in America. Number one is Georgia, according to on three. Michigan comes in number two. Illinois comes in at number three, followed by Penn State. So um, in a game on the road, if Nick Singleton is neutralized by a good defensive line that can gum up Penn State's running game and he doesn't break off an 80-yard run, and it then is on um, uh, Drew Aller to throw into tight single coverage because they are aggressive with that secondary. If it's on him on the road, this is the setup. This is why I agree with Fitz in terms of from a tactical and schematic standpoint. Uh, Iowa can present the same problems, right? So they can present the same problems. They can do those things uh, as well of stopping the run, being stout up front, and then having a, a, a really tough secondary to throw into with their zone coverages. Illinois, it's just, it's different. It's it's man coverage, it's press, it's aggressive, it's tight windows. It feels a little different, and sometimes it can be an absolute shutdown if you don't have guys like Keandre Lambert-Smith that can break that one-on-one matchup and get open and make those big plays, make it easy for the quarterback. So that's going to be fascinating because there's one thing Penn State has struggled with the last couple of years. It's been man coverage, separation from it. If you don't have a star receiver like a... Um, like a Jahan Dotson to make that a bad plan for a team. So yeah. I that's a great that that's going to be a great matchup. I think. Yeah, I think so. And like I said, good coaching staff there, and they they've lost a lot. Like there's no yes. there's no getting over. They've lost some really good players. Chase Brown's not going to be back, and Penn State is probably really happy to see that. Um, but uh, I I agree with Nate. Are those points going to come? They've got a first year quarterback starter. I think Luke Altmaier is going to be the guy uh, from Mississippi. Um, so they've got to basically get their offense up to speed as well. So it's not going to be a situation where you're going into um, a hostile environment with a team that's stacked up ready to make a run, but there's enough elements there that can make you concerned uh, given what you have on your side, given what they have on their side and, and especially coaching there. Uh, Dave jumps in here, just following up. He says, surprise, Penn State has the number four D-line in the country. Defensive end, yes. Defensive tackle, a big question mark. But I think the talent that Penn State has at defensive end is so overwhelming, you can't ignore how good they can be on the defensive line. And by the way, like it, it takes one guy to get in the backfield and ruin a play from a defensive line perspective. Like Your defensive tackle might lose, but if Chop Robinson beats his guy and a Deny Dennis Sutton beats his guy one play after the other, the defensive ends can have a huge impact in the run game as well. I think that's a little bit overlooked in terms of um, the overall effect of having guys playing really well at elite levels. Uh, next question here. And this, uh, any left in the chat, we've got, uh, this might be our last question here. We got one or two more. Uh, let's end with this one. They, uh, we're going to the message board again. Apologize here. <laughs> Zlati asks, is Odavian Collins someone that could realistically push for the third cornerback spot behind King and Dixon this season? Uh, I've talked about how he can help you with some special team snaps for sure. Like, I think that's a, a strong possibility. Fitz, do, do you think that in terms of pushing Elliott Washington and that, then maybe not the third cornerback, but the fourth cornerback, is that, is, can he be in that mix um, given where you know how late he's entering into the process here haven't seen him on the field yet so that's the obvious caveat that we throw out there uh it would be tough i mean the third quarterback or third corner spot is not really an option right now that i see cam miller is that guy and they're pretty happy with cam miller it'd be interesting to see if that fourth spot goes to washington maybe another one of those freshmen step up or maybe even daquan hardy you see a little bit more on the outside um, I, I don't think it's a situation where Collins was brought in to play this year, like to to play in the rotation, to be 
a big part of that rotation this year. He's athletic enough. He, do, he did some really nice things when he showed up testing wise, but at the same time, I, I, I don't see that. I mean, they had such a good situation with storm duck. And I think that that's why they're continuing to try and find a corner in the, in the, uh, in the transfer portal, even though they don't have really this, the space for it um, because you're, you, you want an experienced guy. You want to be a guy that you can throw in that rotation and feel comfortable with. I don't think Collins, um, even though he hasn't practiced yet, I don't think Collins is that guy for 2023. I think he's a guy that you brought in for 2024 and beyond. Uh, Nate, I'm going to split the difference here in this set. We're going to get both questions in because I like this question as well. Do you think Penn State's going to score enough points, essentially? You think that they're going to score points. The 2022 Drew Aller rep model for 2023 for Bo Perbula, is that the plan or do you envision something unique that's more complementary to Drew's game? I think just in general, Bo Perbula, we think he's going to play this year. Do you th- How many blowouts are they going to get into, do you think, given how much you think they're going to score so that Bo Perbula sees time as the essentially the starting quarterback on our center? Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I do see it that way, but I also see uh, a model where they try to get him on the field. They, they find unique ways to, to get him on the field. I'm not sure that everybody's going to love it when it doesn't work. Right. But just to, uh, just to put something else in front of a defensive coordinator again, right? Like that's just, that's the whole thing is just give them more things to think about. And I think that Bo Perbula does that. I think he gives yeah. you something to think about. He he creates a problem. He, 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 you know, maybe he catches you off guard. Maybe he doesn't, but either way he does enough and has shown enough. I think through his first year and a half at Penn state, that Penn state feels, uh, you know, in addition to the want to keep him involved and keep him engaged in the process, but also feels like he's talented enough to, to help you win. And so that's, I don't know. I, I I would I would I would be surprised. I guess at this point, if you don't see him involved in some capacity earlier in games. Fitz, you you look like you're still you're thinking about that. What do you think? I'm I'm thinking of how Penn State has used its gimmick quarterbacks in the past, and it's in short yardage, and they've been so successful going to that T formation. You don't necessarily need it anymore. Like you don't yeah. necessarily need to figure that stuff out. And obviously you got to be more diverse uh, in your T formation. Maybe put Bo in the back of that, in the middle of that T formation. That That's what I was envisioning there. Um, but uh, no, I think you've got an opportunity to, um, you know, use his skill set, which is different than your starter skill set. So yes, I, I, I agree with Nate that you get him in and you try and practice the things or, or go through the things that, that he does well. Um, but Usually when you're putting in a guy in that situation, they did it with Tommy Stevens, obviously um, it's, it's in a short yardage situation to try and change things up. So I, I, that's where I wrestle with the, will we see him when the game is still in doubt? Yeah. I I think that's a a really good point about the, the value of doing that. It's not, you should, you should do it for a reason. You know, what is the tactical reason you want to get a guy on the field? What's he bringing to the table? Uh, and I agree with you. One thing I've tried to to remind fans is don't look at 2020 and Will Levis. That is not an example of anything Penn State's going to do with a quarterback at, uh, unless something drastically terrible happens this year. Tommy Stevens is more the model of how are you going to use him and, and some unique qualities in order to create conflict for defenders right. in a run pass situation, or as you pointed out in a, in a running situation in short yardage. Uh, that'll do the, that does it today for the show guys. Thank you so much for being on and for uh, giving your insight into some 
fun off-season topics. I enjoy these kind of conversations. Every time I'm like, you know what? This is probably going to be a short show, and then we fill an hour with interesting introspects. So thank you so much for that. We'll be back on Friday. That is coming up with a preview of official visits. Stay tuned to bluewhiteillustrated.com for more information about time and all that's for the show. It'll be tomorrow uh, or be Friday sometime noon or before just to give you a, a heads up on that. But we will be talking about the things you need to know to get you ready for Penn State's big push to land some whales at the class of 2024. That's coming up this week. Until then, we'll talk to you later.